It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We are continuing in our study of apologetics. Over the last couple weeks, we really looked closely at some of the famous atheists and their last words. That's what we did over the last two weeks. So we examined 14 of these individuals who were known for their wealth, their philosophies, uh, their ponderings of human life and condition. And as they met their final days, and yes, even their final breath, they were quoted. And in their quotations, what you find are really the absence of hope. There's no joy. There is no longing for what lies beyond. There was no peace in the midst of their final days. And so as we wanted to spend some time in that, although it was a difficult study for us, it should have been convicting. It really should have drawn out of us this desire to truly know with absolute assurance where we are going when we graduate from this vessel. Either we are going to stand before God in judgment unto condemnation, or we stand before the Lord unto life. And that's what we desire for you to know, that is there are two roads, two gates, as we read in Matthew chapter 7, that you pick the narrow way. And yes, it is wrought with difficulty, but in that narrow way, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in service to Him, you will find satisfaction for your soul. And yes, you will find peace when you stand before the Lord, because you know that He is your great hope, and you will stand before Him being atoned for all of your sins, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, as we're now looking into this apologetic study, we want you to know and understand that many around you are going to try to make a case against being accountable to Almighty God. They are going to try to absorb at times the atheist mindset that there is no God. And so we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We get that from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where we read, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And there is plenty of evidence for intelligent design. The evidence is all around us. In fact, we can look to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. This really has been our staple verse as we have examined this theme over the last couple weeks. Let me read it to you again, Romans 1, 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You see, the evidence is all around us, and that's what I want to share with you here today is a little bit about the complexity of life that's all around us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about creation, 
even some of the discussion about a young earth and even the physics of heaven, if you want to give it a terminology like that. Uh, Dr. Steve Ford is not with me here today. He will be back with us again next week as we continue in this discussion. Let me read to you a quote from Paul Copin. Here's what he says about apologetics and why we need to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us, especially in a world like we're facing today. Here's what he says. We need to help people be aware of the important issues with which they will need to contend. In the area of apologetics, we must give reasons for why we believe. We see so many believers who have only a superficial understanding of Scripture and have no basis for saying why the Christian faith is true or why they are not a Hindu or a Muslim. Without that awareness of an objective foundation for belief, they will buy into the books like The Da Vinci Code and will be much more vulnerable to the tactics of religious movements like Mormonism or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they are not biblically or theologically founded, they, they can become more easily confused and rattled when they read a book like Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. They just have not thought deeply about their own faith, so they become swayed by anti- or non-Christian perspective. So that's what we want to do here on Engage in Truth, is really equip you with a healthy biblical worldview. And so if you've missed the prior two broadcasts in this study, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and you can visit our website at calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll find a drop-down link for the audio and video. You'll find these sermons and sermon notes as well as these podcasts and more. We'd encourage you to go and check that out at your leisure and share with your friends and family alike. So let's just talk a little bit about the complexity of the universe, because everything around us, even according to Romans chapter 1, all points to a creator to an architect, an intelligent designer. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly in awe of the God of the universe, the God who holds it all in his hand. And sometimes we have to wonder that maybe we just lose a visual of how big God is. But if you were to hold your hand and hold it up above your head for a moment and look at the amount of space between your thumb and your pinky finger, and first of all, I hope you notice all the intricacies of your hand. I mean, it's quite amazing. I mean, think about what can be accomplished just with the opposable thumb. But aside from all that, if you notice that that distance between your fingers, especially between your pinky and your thumb, visualize this for a moment of what we read in Scripture, especially in Job chapter 38, verses 31 to 33, and Amos chapter 5, verse 8. The Lord tells us God Almighty holds the Pleiades in his hand that the Pleiades was put there with his very hand. And the Pleiades is a cluster of seven stars. The radius is about eight light years, and the tidal radius is about 43 light years. That means you'd be traveling at 186,000 miles per second for 43 straight years, and God holds that span in his hand. It's interesting to me that the universe, which was created by God, is measured by light. And God is, according to 1 John 1.5, light. So God is the measurement for the very thing he created. There is no standard to use other than God himself. And, and light is the fastest moving stuff in the universe. It travels at this incredible rate of 186,000 miles per second. If you're traveling at that speed, that means you'd be able to circle the Earth's equator about seven and a half times in just one second. Okay, so that's, that's how they use 
this light then to measure the distance in the universe. A light year is the distance a light travels in one year. So how far would you go in the course of one Earth year? Well, that'd be 5.88 trillion miles if you're traveling at 186,000 miles per second. So that's right. You'd go almost 6 trillion miles in one year at that speed. Now, the Milky Way galaxy is this huge city of stars. I mean, it's so big that even at the speed of light, it would take 100,000 years to travel across it. And our solar system is the size of a quarter. So if you took a quarter out of your pocket and you drop that on the ground, the quarter, it'd it, it say that since now we're in North America, as you're listening to this, say you're in North America as you've turned on the radio here and you're listening to this broadcast and you're throwing this quarter on the ground in North America, that's the size of our Milky Way galaxy by comparison, even to as we look at our own solar system within that Milky Way galaxy. That's the comparison that we use there. And, and just think about how big our own solar system is. And now you're contrasting that to the whole Milky Way galaxy. Just to get to the other side of it would take you 100,000 years. You see the comparison there? That's amazing. So there are so many stars in our Milky Way galaxy. It would take you 2,500 years to count the stars that you can see. Just the ones that you can see. If you counted a star every second. So a star every single second of every day, it would still take you 2,500 years to count them all. And there's more than 100 billion stars per galaxy. And some estimates suggest that there's over 100 billion galaxies. And they're thinking, well, wait a minute, did I tune into some sort of uh, astronomical type of broadcast here today? No, I'm just wanting you to see the magnitude of what God has created all around us that declares how big and awesome our God is. And yes, how creative he is. I mean, if you look up, you see the splendor of his handiwork. If you look down, you see the splendor of his handiwork. You can't escape it. One cannot look at the universe and not see intelligent design. R.C. Sproul writes that men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they've contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Now, even if you put a DNA strand there, perhaps if you have a computer before you, you can look this up for yourself. But if you were to look at an image there of the DNA strand, according to Dr. Michael Behe, who's a biophysics professor, he argues that the human body is more complex than the earth and its entire ecological system. How amazing is that? I mean, there are over 3 billion codes in the human body through the DNA. The same proteins that make up the human brain also make up the liver. It's the coding of DNA that makes them form the right organ. So this language is more complex than any signal studied in space, and it's right under our noses, literally. Now think about this, a human's genetic code is contained in a sequence of four molecules that are represented by the letters A, T, G, and C. Each can be encoded with two bits of information and multiplied by the six billion letters, then divided by eight bits per byte. It's estimated that you would take 1.5 gigabytes of data just for that code. Now, if you expanded it further, 
Mueller, who is an author of this kind of data, he's a scientist who went to examine all of this. He states that that 1.5 gigabytes of data, there are 40 trillion cells in that. If you were to expand each one of those, it works out to 60 zettabytes of information. Okay, now, for those of you who don't know what a zettabyte is, that would be the number 60 followed by 21 zeros after that. If you were to map each cell in the human body with a data figure behind it, 60 zettabytes of information just for one human vessel. The Human Genome Project began in 1990, and it finished the gaps in 2021, this year. 31 years is what it took, and roughly 5 to $6 billion. You probably remember the old $1 million man. Well, now what we find is that you're a $6 billion person, right? I mean, just, just to even map the DNA that God has designed to make you who you are. In Psalm 139, verses 14 to 16, the psalmist is praising God, and he declares, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then God tells the prophet Jeremiah something similar in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now he says something again, just to that effect. In Isaiah 44, 2, he says, this is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you, do not be afraid, my servant, whom I have chosen. You see, God knew the person before he made the body. That means that every life is precious. There's no child that's an accident. Our God is creative, and he's provided the characteristics, the the shapes, the colors, and the abilities, making each person wonderfully unique. Even the blind, the deaf, and the mute are all blessed and perfect in the grand artist's eyes. Each person experiences life differently, and each are equal contributors in his story. Now, atheists will struggle to make sense of the universe When things happen in the universe that are without explanation, they always want to have an explanation for everything. In fact, you'll find that many atheists seem to know more about the Bible than many Christians do, and they will try to make their case based on the idea of naturalism, that everything has to be uh, maybe by way of uh, some order because everything serves a purpose within the created order. Uh, For example, if a peacock has these beautiful feathers and we've often gone to a zoo a time or two, and you'll see these peacocks, and their their feathers are all out, and beautiful feathers, bright, vibrant colors. The naturalist will tell you that those colors are there for a reason, because it, it attracts a mate. So the color has a purpose. But what happens in the universe often causes many of the naturalists to struggle, because there are times when there is color just for the sake of being beautiful. There doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it at all. In fact, if you've read about the anthropic principle in quantum mechanics, you'll see that there are objects that seem to be changed just by being viewed. 
or they're beautiful just for the observer. No other reason that there's a color or a sound or something exists just to bear of the image of the intelligent designer. There's no other reason for its existence to be as it is. It's just beautiful. It exists because someone created it. And even non-locality creates a great struggle for those who are physicists because what they find is that everything seems to be held together by an unidentifiable source and that even things that are on one side of the universe to the other that are connected, even instantly connected, that all of that void that we would deem as space is actually not a void at all that there is actually substance within the substance, and at its very core, there is something holding it all together that leaves no explanation beyond the fact that there is a God who created it all and is holding it all together, even as they try to explore the Higgs boson. You've heard of it as the God particle. All of these simply point to the fact that there is a power source beyond what can be described, defined, or even discovered. And we find that in Scripture, actually. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, we read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in the heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Now listen to this. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And we get that also in Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, the Bible was already well ahead of its time, giving explanation for that which science is seeking an answer for. That God is the one who holds it all together. At the microscopic level, the deeper you go, the more you find God. The higher you go, the more you see the handiwork of God. And some things just leave the scientist without explanation. According to the late Stephen Hawking, he said, All the evidence seems to indicate that the universe has not existed forever. Rather, the universe and time itself had a beginning. In fact, the theory that the universe has existed forever is in serious difficulty with the second law of thermodynamics. The second law states that disorder always increases with time. Like the argument about human progress, it indicates that there must have been a beginning. Otherwise, the universe would be in a state of complete disorder by now, and everything would be at the same temperature. He said that at a public lecture entitled The Beginning of Time. You see, we struggle with the second law of thermodynamics because of the law that we often call entropy, that everything digresses into disorder. But atheists and evolutionists, they try to push the concept that nothing created something. So nothing created something. And that the something that was created was even more complex than the original state. And of course, we know that that can't be possible. I can't go and create something today. If I were to be, um, oh, maybe I'm a woodworker. Or maybe I I, have made pottery. I don't know if you've ever used a wheel and you take a lump of clay and you've formed it into an object, a a piece of pottery. I have grandchildren. I always love it when they make something for me, even though it may not have any rhyme or reason. But it's beautiful to me because the eye of the beholder, right, they've made it for me. I have made a, a few pieces of pottery. I'm not necessarily proud of the final work, but I can tell you 
that some of the most beautiful pieces I have seen, those pieces will never evolve into a greater complexity. Rather, those pieces will digress over time and disintegrate eventually. Everything falls into disorder, not greater complexity. And even when we look at irreducible complexity that is all around us, and in fact, the, you probably heard of the bacteria flagellum and the rotary motor that's inside of that, it's a great case for irreducible complexity. You cannot take one of the pieces away and not have the original state be destroyed. Every piece is critical for it to operate. That bacteria would cease to exist if you take one of the elements away. So now you have the the most irreducible form of its complexity, and it's probably a more sophisticated rotary engine than what man has devised, and yet it needs every part to properly function. Therefore, I believe it takes more faith to believe in evolution than God. If we look at everything that's around us, we know that if you look at the detail of a painting, you know there had to be a painter. And the same thing is true if you look at a building, and some of the architecture I've seen today is just getting more elaborate, more complex. If you look at that building, you know that it has an architect. It didn't just get there by accident. It didn't get there by chance. You can't throw a bunch of materials at it, and eventually it will construct itself into an object of great complexity. These are the challenges that we have as we examine the landscape today, that we as believers have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to examine a little bit closer creation. We're going to look at the the whole concepts of creation, the six-day process of creation in the Scripture, and really look at the magnitude of the atemporal God who exists outside of time, and yes, even what we might even call the physics of heaven. We get these glimpses throughout Scripture of a God who works outside of time, even as we die and in a blink of an eye we're transformed and we resurrect into a glorious new body instantaneously. And yes, even at the rapture, caught up in the air with the Lord, and we are transformed into a glorious new body. All of these images, we're going to put the pieces together for you over the next couple weeks as we examine creation a little bit closer. And it's my hope that even in that brief period of time, we can equip you with what may feel like is an elevator speech, to prepare you with proper apologetics to understand why you believe what you believe. If you're an old earth theorist, it is my hope that next week we can convince you otherwise. You will see the magnitude, the majesty of a handiwork of God who didn't even need one second, let alone six days. So there's always a reason for what he does. We're going to examine that very closely. So I hope you've been encouraged By these last three weeks of broadcast, have we been helping you as we've examined now a little closer look at what we call apologetics, the ability to give a defense, the ability to speak on behalf of truth as we've examined the Word of God. It is now in us. It is thoroughly in our minds, in the recesses of the chambers of our minds, deep within our hearts, and that we are passionate for the truth that we believe, not to win an argument, but ultimately to win souls to Jesus Christ. 
that you know that your faith is built upon a solid rock, that the history supports it, the evidence all around you scientifically supports it. You don't have a blind faith, although there are aspects to our faith that we hold on to of promises that are not yet fulfilled, but we know that they will happen as the 355 prophecies of Jesus Christ came to pass. We know that those promises are true and assured, and we hang on to them as truth, but we also stand upon a solid rock of faith that is without refute. The evidence is all around us for the resurrected Lord. The evidence is all around us for the creation of God, and it all points to his handiwork as an intelligent designer. And I hope that you are intrigued to at least listen again next week. Hear more and examine the evidence for yourself. I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. Thank you for following us each week. To learn more about the ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, visit us at calvaryfountain.com. There you can listen to this broadcast and more. You can see our, our sermon series, including the sermon notes. Use it, provide it to your friends and family alike. Our hope is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Please come and visit us on a Sunday. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.